turn in God's Word this morning to the book of Joshua, chapter 8, once again. But we'll be at the closing verses of chapter 8, starting at verse 30 through the end of the chapter. Titling this message, Lessons on Spiritual Warfare, Reemphasizing the Basics. As we see, that's what God's people do here as they prepare for further conflict. As we turn to that passage and we're thinking about this issue of spiritual warfare, um, just reminders. It's not a physical war. According to Ephesians 6 verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But it's a battle of the mind, and of the heart, and of the soul. 2 Corinthians 10.5 We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take thought, every thought captive to obey Christ. It's not fought with the world's weapons, As we learn from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. They offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses which he had written. And all Israel, sojourners, as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. And afterward he read, All the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. As far the reading of God's word, let's again ask for God's blessing upon it. Father in heaven, we give thanks for this portion of your word and just pray that uh, we may learn from all that the children of Israel did physically in their warfare, that we may learn that we can have that same warfare spiritually. And we just pray that you'd bless Pastor Bob as he brings this word to us and that he will teach us what we need to hear, we pray and ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we want to look at two things from these uh, verses that we have before us this morning in the book of Joshua. First of all, the background. 
Because there's a, a lot that's in the background to, to what is happening here. Why are they doing this? And why are they doing it now? Secondly, the event itself. What actually are they doing? And then what lessons do we take away from that? As God's people today, as we face the spiritual battles of our day and age, and the world in which we are a part of. So first of all, the background. There is, as we've read this, obviously a lot of mention to, to Moses, as Moses commanded, as Moses said, as Moses said, as Moses said. Well, what is being referenced to? What, what's being talked about? Why do those words come into play? Particularly when we think about the circumstances of where we're at. We, we've journeyed from Egypt. We've been stuck in the desert for 40 years because of disobedience. But now God in his grace has allowed us to cross the Jordan. God in his magnificent power has destroyed Jericho. Achan brought about condemnation upon the entire people in that humbling defeat of Ai. But as we looked at last week, they went back and in faithfulness and obedience to the Lord destroyed Ai. And then we stop. Why? Because of the command of Moses, the servant of the Lord. Well, what did Moses say? Well, go back with me to the book of Deuteronomy. And just the, the reminder that the book of Deuteronomy is written prior to their crossing of the Jordan. So these, this, this is sort of like Moses' final farewell speech. This, this is Moses' goodbye to the people prior to his death. And as Moses addresses them, the book of Deuteronomy then, the second reading of the law, the second saying of the law, the reiteration of that law, is what Moses places before them. But if you go to Deuteronomy chapter 11, go down to verse 26 of that chapter, we read the following. The I is, is Moses then. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today. And the curse if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I am commanding you today to go after other gods that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land. So he's saying, this is not now. Okay, did, I, I, Moses isn't saying you need to do this now. Moses is saying when you come into the land, when you enter into Canaan, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set the blessing on Mount Gerizim and the curse on Mount Ebal. That's what they're doing. They're, they're going to go to Mount Ebal, they're going to go to Mount Gerizim, and, and it's going to be a place of blessing and curse. They're doing it because this is what Moses commanded them to do. 
Now go forward in Deuteronomy to chapter 27. So he's told it to them once, but he knows the people of Israel, right? He knows that like us, we we need some restatements. We need repetition. We need that constant reminder. What is it that God is saying to us? He told it to him in the 11th chapter. Now when we get to the 27th chapter, we read the following. Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people of Israel saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day that you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord is giving you, once again, not now, but when you cross over, what are you to do? Verse 2. You shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster, and you shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. Verse 4, and when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. So why are we here? Why are we pausing? Why aren't they continuing on with battles? Because Moses, obviously through the inspiration of the Lord, is commanding them, you need to do this. When you come into the land... You need to stop and you need to re-emphasize the basics. That first. Second in the background. There is an emphasis here upon this altar that is being made. Notice what we have in verse 31. Right? So they're following it along. They're doing what Moses says. And then it says... An altar of uncut stones on which no man has wielded an iron tool. Now, if you, if you had read just a couple more verses in chapter 27, if I had just read them, maybe you already glanced ahead. That's emphasized. But Moses there is repeating a command that the Lord had given the people all the way back at Mount Sinai. So go with me to Exodus chapter 20. So we've just finished being given the law. And then in verse 22 of Exodus 20, God gives commands about the altars that they are to make. Verse 22, And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, You have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, and nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place that I command my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stone. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. And you shall not go up the steps of my altar that your nakedness 
may not be exposed on it. That has to do with the steps that are going to be made for the uh, altar of burnt offering and for the garments of the priest. But God's point was, when you make me an altar, don't hew the stones. In other words, don't take an iron tool and a hammer and pick away at it so you got a nice flat edge and then take another stone, pick away at it so you got another flat edge and, and put the flat edges together. Make it a, some really nice looking dressed stone. No, just take stones. Just take any old stones and build me an altar of ordinary stones. Plain looking stones. That's what I want. Notice now when we go back to to Joshua chapter 8. That's exactly what Joshua is doing. So they're in the right place by the command of Moses at Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim. They're doing the right thing in making this altar a specific type of altar that God has commanded to be made for him when they're going to present peace and burnt offerings. The third thing to consider in terms of this background is the way this passage starts. At that time. At that time. What does that mean? It means after they defeated Ai. After Ai has been dealt with, at that time, Joshua says, okay, folks, it's time to walk 30 miles from where you're camped here at Gilgal, and we're going to go to Mount Gerizim, and we're going to go to Mount Ebal, and we're going to have this re-emphasizing of the basics ceremony. We're going to go back there, and we're going to do this again. And you're going to hear it again and again. Yeah, it's a 30-mile walk, probably a three-day journey there and then back because we learn as we go through the book of Joshua that Gilgal remains the place of encampment. So they're just walking for three days to come to this place to do what we're going to read about and, and deal with when we come to the second point, the event, and then they're going to walk back Three days again. But understand what we're doing here. We're in the middle of Canaan. They have not conquered Canaan. They've conquered and gained a foothold. They, they as, as it were, have a toehold. Right? Their, their, their foot is not necessarily firmly planted. It's not like they can go, ah, peace and safety everywhere. It's like, no enemies surrounding us everywhere. We got problems no matter where we look. But we've conquered this area. Now, why does Joshua do it now? Because by defeating Ai, they now have access to Gerizim and Ebal. They couldn't go here before because they hadn't conquered it. 
But as soon as they have conquered it, as soon as the area is cleared, as soon as there is some sense of safety for them to journey there, what do they do? At that time, as soon as there is the opportunity to do that which Moses has commanded them to do, they do it. At that time. Not before, when it would have been very unwise for them to do so, and was not theirs, because they had not yet conquered it. Nor later, well, let's get on with a whole bunch of other things. we got a lot of other people to conquer yet. We've got more battles to face, and we got more enemies. Let's go after the enemies. No, at that time, they're stopping. To do that which the Lord, through his servant Moses, has commanded them in the manner in which it is to take place. The fourth thing is to note the offerings. We are told that they're going to offer peace and burnt offerings. Now, I don't know if you caught it, but those are the same offerings that are mentioned back there in Deuteronomy. When you're going to offer on the altar your peace and burnt offerings. Now the question would be, what what did those signify? They signified those two particular offerings. Were offerings that the Lord gave to the people of Israel. To be used in particular in regards to the confession of their sins an acknowledgement of their sin and of their desire to be in fellowship, peace, with the Lord through the blood offering. So already in Deuteronomy, we're, we're, we're kind of being, it's being foreshadowed for us that this whole thing here in, in Joshua chapter 8 has to do With God's will, God's command, their sin, their failure, and the need for blood atonement. But yet, it's there to signify as well their desire to live for God's glory and honor. So the offerings are significant. Because we're not dealing with some particular sin. That's the trespass and guilt offering. Something for sure that has been done. This is just the understanding, look, I'm a sinner, I know it. What particular sin of this week? Well, I maybe think of some, but I know I'm a sinner and I know I've failed. And I know I need to come before the Lord and ask for forgiveness through the blood atonement. That's what these offerings are for. Because I want to be and I desire to be in a shalom relationship with the Lord God. So all of that is background to what's happening. So what did they do? What's the event? Well, notice the first thing that Joshua does. And you see, without, or without Deuteronomy, this would be hard to understand, wouldn't it? Because what does he do? He writes a copy of the law on the stones. Verse 32. 
And there in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And once again, we're referenced the law of Moses. Does that mean the entirety of the law? Or did that mean a summary of the law of the Ten Commandments? I think given the context, it means the whole of the law. All that Moses had commanded, all that God gave to him on Mount Sinai, which is, yes, the Ten Commandments, but it's the Ten Commandments plus. How do you write on stones? How do you do that? What did Deuteronomy 27 say you do to the stones? You plaster them. You plaster them. You put a coating over those stones. Plaster work. And now what do you do? Now you write the law of the Lord upon the stones. Because else we'd, we'd be going, you know, how, how is he going to get all that law? How is he going to? And wait a minute. To write on him, he didn't have a magic marker, right? He didn't have color crayons. He didn't have colored pencils. And he can't use a tool because you can't use a tool on the stones. So you plaster it. And now you write. And you write the whole of the law of God. First event. Second event. Is he gets them all positioned. Because remember what, well let's go back to it. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 27. Kind of where I left off in that chapter. There, there are... There are there's certain things about this that, that are, are just, they're, they're just amazing when you actually dig into it as to what Moses is telling them to do, right? Okay, so first of all, he tells them to set up the, the plaster and the altar. Go down to verse 11. That day, Moses charged the people saying, when you have crossed over the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. So we're going to take tribes, and, and you see where we're at, we have Mount Ebal on one side, we have Mount Gerizim on the other, and, and there's a valley in between. And from what I'm told, from what I've read, because I've never actually stood there, but from what I've read, this place is a natural amphitheater. You can actually be on Mount Ebal, and you can talk in a normal voice, and it is heard on Gerizim. And you can speak on Mount Gerizim, and it is heard on Mount Ebal. And from the valley below, you can address both sides. So there's a reason Moses said, I want you to go here. See, he doesn't say go to the Mount of Olives. He doesn't say, you know, go to Mount Carmel. Here he says, look, I, this is the place I want you to go. Why? Well, this forms the right location for the event to take place. It's not just willy-nilly. It's not just, I don't know, let's pick Ebal and Gerizim. 
Even the locations where things are done are important to us as we study God's Word. And sometimes the importance has to do with the location itself. But there is more. Mount Ebal is a barren mountain. It's rocks. It looks desolate. We would say it looks like it's under a curse. When you turn to the other side and see Mount Gerizim, which is green and has trees and is lush, and we would say, that looks blessed. Notice what God does. God says, I want you to take half the people, put them on Gerizim, half the people, put them on Ebal. From Ebal, I want you to, to chant out the curses. From Gerizim, I want you to chant out the blessings. Now, there are some who would say, well, that's not really important to the event. It's absolutely essential to the event. The event doesn't make any sense if you've got blessings coming from Ebal and you've got curses coming from Gerizim. It's confusing. God is crystal clear in what he is portraying. He is portraying it geographically to these people. Pick it up with me then. And these shall stand on, excuse me, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. It's the tribes of Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. What's interesting is that Moses is saying, I want you to take half the tribes, set them on Ebal, and chant out the curses. Half the tribes, set them over here on Gerizim, and chant out the blessings. Guess what is unique? The six tribes that are over there on the cursed side are the troublesome tribes. <laughs> They're going to be the troublesome tribes throughout their history. And the six over here on Gerizim are going to tend to be those that seek to be a little more faithful to the Lord than the six over there. By the time this event happens, three of those tribes are already saying, Hey, we want our inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. We don't even want Canaan. We want to be over there. Interesting. Out of their mouth, they're chanting curses. While they themselves are already engaged in unfaithfulness. Quite something what the Lord is doing here, isn't it? Before the events even take place. This is what I want you to do. This is how I want it to work out. But notice as well where the altar is now built. They place the altar on which mountain? Ebal. Why do you place the altar on Mount Ebal? Because this is the place of cursing. This is the place of condemnation. This is the place of guilt. What do you need when you're under condemnation? You need blood atonement. What do you need when you're under guilt? You need blood atonement. 
Who put the altar over there on Gerizim? Under the blessings, put the altar over here on Mount Ebal's side of this to illustrate to the people that when you come under these curses, when you come under disobedience, there is the altar of God. There is the blood atonement. And obviously, this is what the, the whole thing is a foreshadowing, is it not, of that which is coming in Christ. So we spend a week reflecting on, thinking about our sin, our shortcomings, our failures. Reread that, that responsive reading that we did throughout this week. But then come and realize that, that there, on, on the sin side of things, is a blood atonement. The blood atonement of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood atonement of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we come and, and there's a table set for us next Lord's Day. Yes, we're sinners. And we need to be cleansed. And we desire to be in fellowship with the Lord. And how does God give us a sign to illustrate that? He brings a table. And he says, here, here. When you're under condemnation, when you're under guilt, because you know you're a sinner and your heart desires to be with me, here is the atonement of Christ. Here is his body. Here is his blood given for you. Thirdly, what else do they do there? Also, there is the reading. See, he wrote the law on the plaster. Now what happens? He reads the law. And if you read the, the passage that you have in, in, in Deuteronomy along with it, what it sounds like is that Joshua read it and then the Levites further broadcast it again. So it's written, it's repeated, and it's repeated again. That's why I titled this message, The Reemphasizing of the Basics. We have three times, as, as we would put it together in this passage, of the law of God being seen, being heard by these people. Before you go any further, before you go into this land of Canaan, before you go into further battle, I want you to stop. And I want you to re-emphasize the basics. What does it mean to do my will? What does it mean to bring me glory? What does it mean to bring me honor? Oh, I know you're surrounded by enemies. I know there are battles to be fought. But you need to be reminded of what God wants from our life, from yours, from mine. How does God want us to live in a way that honors and glorifies 
and pleases him. Go fight the enemy? Yeah, yeah, that's to come. Sometimes we just need to pause and to hear. What does God want me to do to glorify him? Wield the sword and cut down Canaanites? Yep, that's coming. But there's also a time to look inside, to look in our own hearts, at the enemies of our own souls, at our own sin, at our own shortcoming, as our own failure. And then come, then come. To the table. Fourthly, it's interesting if you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. See, Joshua doesn't repeat this. He, he's just saying, we did it. Okay, he's giving you, this is what we did. We stopped, we, we set up the altar, we, we did the thing on Ebal and Gerizim. We did what we were commanded to do. Well, what else were they commanded to do? Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 27. And this fills in the gap. They are to stand on these mountains and they are to repeat certain curses and blessings. So if you're back at 27, Deuteronomy 27, you may say, why did God pick these things? So here's, here's half the tribes. They're, they're on Mount Ebal. And they're saying... Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, a thing made by the hands of craftsmen and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. So we have one half chanting it, and then the whole group says, Amen. What else? Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father and mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with any animal, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say Amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them, and all the people shall say, Amen. Why those things? Weren't there other commands? Yeah. Why are they repeating these particular curses? Because that's what's happening in the culture that they're moving into. That's the society. That's the Canaanites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Jebusites. That's what's going on in the culture. And God's simply saying, okay, you're about to enter this land. You're going to see stuff you never thought you'd see. You're going to hear stuff you never thought you'd heard. You're going to walk through Walmart and you're going to go, whoa, where am I? 
You're going to go through Myers, and you're going to go, I never thought I'd hear such language in this world. See, they're entering a society, they're entering a culture that is so indulging itself. These curses are coming from their own mouths. So that when they enter the land and they begin to do these things, God's judgment is just and right upon them. And then there are blessings. Here comes Mount Gerizim. Mount Gerizim sounds out the blessings of God and the people say, Amen. And then what are going to be the consequences when we disobey? And the people say, Amen. That's important. So we'll end with point E, the people. I want you to note, first of all, how Joshua, the book of Joshua, emphasizes who is there. It's not just the fighting men. It's the women. It's the little ones. It's even the sojourner who is within their gates. You all show up at Ebal and Gerizim. And you all hear the word of the Lord. You all hear what God is commanding. And then from your own lips, I want to hear your testimony. Amen. So be it, Lord. So be it, Lord. See, we include that, don't we, in our order of worship, right? We, we have God's greeting at the beginning, and then there's a line, congregation, amen, amen. We have it at the end, God's benediction, congregation, amen. The close of a prayer, and God's people say, amen. No. It's amen, so be it, Lord. I testify to this. You are right, Lord, in that which you have spoken. You are right in that which you have done. We beseech you, Lord. We confess before you, Lord. We rejoice before you, Lord. And we know that all that we are and all that we ever shall be is a gift of grace from God himself. People, can you hear? Can you hear charism and evil? Can you hear that echoing throughout that valley? Can you hear that noise? You see the spies from these foreign countries or cities looking up over the mountain. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're all there. They're all there. And they're all united. They're all united in what? In their desire to serve and honor and glorify the Lord. Because you see, we can go out on battle missions. We can go out to fight the enemies. But unless 
we are together in our desire to first of all do all that we can to glorify and honor and to please the Lord and to live as his people. We will do exactly what happens in the ninth chapter. We will fail. But there stands an altar. A reminder that in God, through Christ, our sin is paid for. And it is our desire to live for the glory of the one who has saved us.